Welcome back, and thank you so much for taking the morning and spending a little bit of it with us. Talked about a whole bunch of different things this morning. The discussion has been great. And, you know, this next discussion leans into health for you and I. I think back to Christmas of this year and even just into the new year. How many people were sick? There was a ton of people me included, went through a bit of a, a low point there where people were getting uh, hit with colds and flus and workplaces were, were decimated. Schools were coming back to school after the Christmas break with hardly any kids in some of the classrooms because of sickness. Now, here we are the 23rd of January. I feel like we've pulled free from that. And then we read the paper, we go online, and we see things like measles being found in Saskatoon. A recent report in the Globe and Mail showed that group A strep infections are spiking in children in Canada. And so this seems like a really good time to check in with the Saskatchewan Health Authority, which is exactly what we're doing this morning. I'm very happy to have Dr. Simon Kapaj. He's a medical health officer with the Saskatchewan Health Authority, also assistant professor in Public Health and Preventative Medicine Division of the University of Saskatchewan. And Dr. Kapaj joins me this morning by phone. Thank you so much for taking the call, doctor. Good morning, Evan. Thank you for having me. So measles. When I saw this report on measles, it actually, I have to be honest, I think back to when I was a kid. And I don't want to say how old I am, but doctor, that was a while ago. (laughs) and measles were something that we were vaccinated for, and it was a discussion that we had. I haven't heard people talk about measles for a long time. Let's start off talking about measles itself. What is it, and how does it affect those that that end up contracting it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, measles is a virus, uh, you know, uh, has been around for a very long time. Uh, It's one of the viruses that uh, we have a good control, actually, uh, Canada doesn't see uh, many cases of measles, uh, and the reason is because uh, we we have immunity. So uh, individuals out there in the community, they are, uh, uh, you know, uh, vaccinated with uh, two doses of vaccine. However, time after time, we do see, as you mentioned, uh, you know, infrequently uh, new cases of measles uh, in the community, which are most likely related to travel and uh, specifically for the case that we had last week in Saskatoon is uh, directly related to travel overseas. Right. So is am I right in saying it's it's an, kind of an older disease? You know, you think about mumps, for example. I had the mumps as a kid. It wasn't very fun. Uh, but we don't hear about it much anymore. Is that because of the advancements of vaccinations? That, that, that's right. I think we see less and less, uh, you know, in Western world, including Canada, and the reason is because we are doing very well with uh, with the protection side, right? Uh, individuals have two pathways to get uh, immunity. One is uh, uh, through the vaccination, but many people out there, uh, the individuals that were born before 1970, they had the infection already, so they have a natural infection as well. Mm-hmm. So what are the symptoms when we're talking about measles? By the way, we're talking with Dr. Simon Kapaj, medical health officer with the SHA. When we're talking about measles, what are the symptoms we should watch for that are telltale that it's measles? Well, the symptoms are not very specific at the beginning. So if someone uh, has contracted the virus, for example, uh, through travel or being close to an individual that already had measles in another space, uh, the symptoms will include fever, uh, cough, running nose, uh, red eyes. 
Uh, and after that, uh, in a few days, uh, there is a rash, a red rash that starts in the face and neck and then uh, spreads quickly in the, in the rest of the body. But as I said, this, the symptoms are not uh, very specific at the beginning. However, uh, we always focus on the fact that uh, the individuals that have been close contact to the case, I think these are the individuals that likely will see uh, symptoms. Otherwise, uh, the uh, risk to the general public is uh, very low. Mm -hmm. So if you believe you have the measles, like I I look at this release that was done um, just this past week with regard to the case in Saskatoon, clearly uh, it's contagious because they're saying if you were in any of the following locations, you got to keep an eye on yourself, watch for symptoms, talking about specific restaurants or or stores that people might have been in uh, and might have come into contact with this person who has the measles. So if you think you have them, what should you do? I'm guessing you don't want people to go shopping, and, and should you even go to the hospital? Yeah, so the, the reason that we put that uh, uh, public service announcement out there is to reach to the individual that potentially have been exposed during this uh, time in uh, certain places in the city of Saskatoon, right, including the Royal University Hospital uh, emergency waiting room as well. So what uh, our public health team has done in the last few years, we have narrowed down the individuals actually that potentially have been uh, uh, exposed to the individual that had, uh, had measles. And then uh, the individuals that uh, uh, could have contracted measles from the case um, are advised strongly to uh, monitor for symptoms of measles, like fever, cough, and running nose, and, uh, of course, the rash. The individuals that have a rash actually are infectious uh, four days before that rush and four days after the rush. So basically, it's a little bit of, a, of everything just to self-monitor, but also if they have symptoms, then they can call uh, the 811 for getting some specific guidance. Uh, at the same time, we don't advise individuals to go to the uh, physician offices or emergency rooms. And the reason is because we don't want to put anyone at risk. Mm-hmm. So we want them to put the mask on and stay in the self-isolation and home, and then they connect with the uh, uh, local public health or their local health care provider for more guidance. And we've got some recent experience at how we can uh, isolate ourselves and and find ways to keep from preventing uh, the spread of disease. Dr. Simon Kapage is my guest, medical health officer with the Saskatchewan Health Authority. Do measles have long-term effects on people? Absolutely. You know, the measles uh, in, in, in countries that uh, don't have a, uh, you know, a healthcare system like Canada, good immunization programs like Canada and Saskatchewan has, um, they see uh, thousands and thousands of measles cases every year. And uh, there is also uh, cases that lead to complication. Some of the complications are lung infections, uh, middle ear infection, um, but There are also serious uh, complications such as uh, uh, inflammation of of the brain and also deaths. And looking at the data from World Health Organization this morning, uh, actually there are millions of people that lose their lives worldwide every year because of the measles. So basically it's a risk. 
It's a risk. I've heard you, uh, doc, Dr. Kapaj, a couple of times in the short time we've been talking, uh, talk about immunization and vaccination. So I- I'm curious to know, there was a lot of stigma around vaccines during COVID. It became a very divisive topic. Has that affected how people feel about getting other vaccines and immunization? Um, good question. The answer is yes. There is a little bit of fatigue out there in the community about the vaccines in general. Of course, we went through a, a you know a unprecedented crisis, which was the COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, uh, Saskatchewan uh, was one of the provinces that did very well during the pandemic. Of course, that uh, uh, you know the hesitancy about the shots is there. Uh, not just for COVID shots, but is impacting a little bit also the vaccines that children should get, like vaccines for measles, for mumps, for rubella, for chickenpox, as well as for other vaccine-preventable diseases, including meningococcal uh, and uh, and other uh, uh, vaccines, including flu, uh, COVID vaccine as well. So. Dr. Simon Kapaj, I want to switch gears for a second from measles to on the weekend, I was reading through the Globe and Mail, and there was an article there about an increased rate of strep A cases that we're seeing, especially with children in Canada. Is that a trend we've noticed in Saskatchewan? Yes, actually, we have a slight increase compared with the previous years uh, uh, for group A streptococcus. Um, we are comparing this pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and post-pandemic. Now, before the pandemic, the levels were low or somehow trends were up and down, but not at the levels that we are seeing now. Uh, during the pandemic, as you mentioned a, a little bit earlier, the importance was that, you know, we had that social uh, separation. Uh, we had uh, other measures that, uh, for sure, we saw less and less cases like this. But definitely we are seeing an increase of invasive group A strap in the community, specifically for children. And it's important to understand that this bug is with us. It's around us. And, um, uh, but this is not a new bug. This right. bug is, uh, uh, has, has been around for a while. So if you, if you were talking to parents that were concerned about their children and keeping their children happy, what would you tell parents they should watch for and do if they're suspicious of symptoms? Um, m- main important public health measures, uh, uh, you know, for the, for not just for invasive group A strep, but for other bugs on circulation as well. You know, we have COVID, we have uh, influenza, um, uh, is stay home when you are ill or you are infected, uh, uh, use uh, uh, a mask if you are going to uh, indoor public settings to avoid spreading the disease to others. Um, the frequent cleaning hands and uh, and uh, making sure that the personal hygiene in, uh, in everywhere is uh, is uh, complying, as well as making sure that um, you know if uh, a child, for example, has high fever uh, and. Uh, um, is not feeling well uh, seeing a healthcare provider for treatment. There is antibiotics that are recommended for individuals that have in uh, group A streptococcus. Okay, that's good stuff. Appreciate it. From a public health perspective, before I let you go, Dr. Simon Kapaj, my guest today, any other trends that we're seeing uh, that you're watching as part of the Saskatchewan Health Authority in the province? 
Um, at, at this time, I think we're in a, in a good stage, in a good time. Uh, we do meet regularly with the uh, local school divisions here locally. We do get the data from them as well. Um, we did have a little bit of increase of cases of, uh, you know, COVID and flu in uh, late October, beginning of November. However, uh, at this time, it seems like we are in a, in a good uh, stage. Uh, we have less of COVID and flu, but of course, uh, you know, we have to be vigilant and follow, uh, you know, the personal agenda and the protective measures all the time, because this is not only about ourselves, but this is about everybody else in the community, especially the uh, vulnerable individuals, children, pregnant women, seniors, and individuals that have underlying medical conditions. Dr. Kapaj, this has been a great talk. I appreciate you giving us a few moments of your day. My pleasure. Dr. Simon Kapage, medical health officer with the Saskatchewan Health Authority, talking about the measles, not something I ever expected I would be talking about um, on the show. But yeah, recent release shows that in Saskatoon, there was a highly contagious case of measles found. As a result, they were putting out a whole bunch of locations that the person who had the measles had traveled to, which is always an important part of trying to keep wraps on this is understanding where they went and making sure that anyone that might have come into contact with them, um, you know, stays vigilant to any symptoms that they might have. You know, I, I think we've gotten better. If there's one thing the pandemic showed us, it's it's how to keep ourselves safe. Again, the important essential basics that we, we learned as children about washing hands and all of, you know, safe distances and, and those types of kind of what I would call basic common sense, uh, respectful things. We've gotten better at that through uh through the pandemic but every once in a while you know i find myself rubbing my eye and you know you, you know that sometimes that's how germs can can uh can transfer from the door handle that you just used in the store that you went to or whatever the case may be but dr kapage a great guest and uh, gave us some things to think about when it comes to recent challenges in the province of saskatchewan you're listening to 980 cjme and 650 CKOM. Moving our way through a Tuesday morning, and boy, I'll tell you, these days fly by, especially when we've got compelling things to discuss. Just like our last conversation uh, that we had from 10 to 11 o'clock, we were chatting about harm reduction and the role that it plays when we're talking about addiction and addiction challenges. And the one thing that I will always try and do is, is make space for all sides of a conversation because there, there always is. And, and if I look at, at the text line, at the phone line, and, and typically even in terms of the guests that we can bring in, there are multiple sides to a conversation. So even on the topic of, of harm reduction, there's a text here from someone saying, look, at the end of the day, I'm sick and tired of picking up needles. I'm done finding puke on the sidewalk and having my garage broken into and, and a whole bunch of different things that to me, this texter who is, who is anonymous is saying that this is part of the problem with, with harm reduction. If you want to give them a safe space there, give them a safe space away from the rest of us. That's what the texter is saying here. Another texter is, is, uh, is saying we all participate in harm reduction every day. We wear seatbelts. We brush our teeth. We look both ways before crossing the street. Working on the front lines of this crisis, we just want to keep our relatives in the community as safe as we can until they're ready for recovery. Dead bodies don't recover. So 
always two sides to the discussion and whether or not harm reduction is working is something that I saw a lot of people texting in this morning saying, hey, we have harm reduction now and yet our overdoses seem to be happening at a rate much more than we've seen in the past. So does that tell us that harm reduction is not working? You know, the question could be, what would it look like without harm reduction? Maybe the, the problem would be would be 10 times worse. So being able to talk about it and having you weigh in is an important part of this as well. No different than the conversation we had a bit earlier about whether or not we should be moving children forward in school regardless of how they do from a from an education standpoint. Basically, the notion of social promotion, which is essentially that, moving children forward to keep them in their same age group regardless of from an academic standpoint how they do and there's a ton of literature like if you're looking for reports on this topic of the you know to simplify it passing or failing children there are a ton of reports that support both sides of the argument there's a report um, that was done from 2005 another one from two of them actually from 2005 in Minnesota that talked about if you fail students if you hold them back they go through a higher likelihood of increased dropout rates we see mental disorders on the rise we see drug use and drinking and teenage pregnancy and depression and suicide and all of these things there's also studies you won't be surprised to know that say the same thing happens if you advance students so it, you know it, it kind of depends it's like so many things it depends which study you read and which one you want to back your side of the story. But, but I will acknowledge that there are two sides to this. Even amongst teachers, you often will get a division. Some teachers say holding students back is not the right thing to do. Same with parents. We had parents texting in this morning saying holding students back or holding my child back was the worst decision that I ever made. We have others that say, that's part of setting them up for success because if they're pushed through high school and they graduate without a standard level of education, then are they setting them up for success later in life? It's a good discussion. Okay, we're going to lighten things up greatly from our discussion this morning. We're going to talk about ice fishing shacks because there's one that's on Last Mountain Lake. The picture on Facebook was going viral this week. I actually had my doubts whether it was real. It was so unique. As it turns out, not only is it real, but we have the owner of what I'm going to call one of Saskatchewan's most unique ice fishing shacks joining me next to discuss where he got this, where he got the idea for this, and what he did to turn this unique item into an ice fishing shack when we come back. Right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.